Welcome to the Diplo Woman Podcast, where we will be talking with and about incredible women mediators, facilitators, negotiators, ambassadors, peacemakers, peace builders, and more. I am Karma Ekmekci, and I will be your host in this journey of mainstreaming the women, peace, and security agenda into our lifestyles. With a focus on the Arab region, the Diplomen Podcast comes to you in collaboration with the Isan Fars Institute for Public Policy and International Affairs at the American University of Beirut, and is made possible by the generous support of UN Women. The Arabic subtitled video edition is available on the Diplomen Podcast YouTube channel. We're thinking out loud with Rachel Dory Weeks in this new episode of the Diplomen Podcast. Rachel is the head of UN Women in Lebanon. She is an expert in women, peace, and security, and she has extensive experience in the region. She's worked on Syria, on Afghanistan, on Yemen, and we're very happy to have her with us here today at the Diplomen Podcast to talk about a very specific campaign. Rachel, welcome to the Diplomen Podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. So tell us, UN Women Lebanon recently launched this Missing Peace campaign. What is this campaign all about? Since the establishment of UN Women, we've been trying to shout from every vantage point that we've had about the impact of women's exclusion across a range of different sectors, whether it's the private sector, government, but also within the political space, both within parliament, elected bodies, and also within political dialogues that relate to issues of peace and security. And no matter how much evidence we provide for the very tangible impact of women's exclusion from peace talks, the fact that peace is more likely when women are involved, the fact that peace is more likely to remain in place when women are involved, we can't convince those in power to change the way they're making peace. So this was another attempt to grab people's attention and to try to show them why it matters that our political dialogues are representative and representative of the full breadth of the population, not just one small sector, but bringing in women into the conversation about stability. And we think that this is incredibly timely for this moment in Lebanon. Lebanon has been through, obviously, a protracted crisis for arguably the last decade or more, but certainly for the last two years. And despite the depth of the crisis and the recognition, I think, within the country and beyond that things may have never been as bad as they are now, we continue to see business as usual. When we have the French initiative, we continue to see men around the table talking about how to solve Lebanon's crisis. In Parliament, we continue to see men dominating the conversation about where to go. And so this was, again, trying to both speak to those in power and remind them that there is a constituency of able and capable women who want to help shape the future of Lebanon and help Lebanon get out of this crisis, but also everyday people to try to build this demand for more representative politics and political dialogue in Lebanon. So you feel like this is sort of a, a first-to-market campaign. I mean, I personally haven't seen a similar campaign in Lebanon specifically on the issue of women representation in political dialogues or national dialogues or peace building, we need to create some sort of public acceptance. I feel sometimes even when I speak to, to friends, you know, like-minded people, they still feel like this is a subject that they haven't really been introduced to. Yeah. And I've also 
I mean, wanted to, to ask you, this is a campaign for Lebanon, but it also resonates, I feel it would resonate with many countries in the, in the Arab region. Uh, with, you know, you have extensive experience on women, peace and security and in the region. How do you see this also playing out in other countries? And where do we stand really as Lebanon on women representation generally in politics, but specifically in uh, national dialogues and um, peace building efforts? So, I mean, I, those are good questions. I, I think one could argue that we have a large number of stalled peace processes across the region. Uh, we've seen incremental changes, both backwards and forwards, over the last few years. But I think it would be hard to, to suggest that most of the peace processes that we have happening here, whether it's Yemen and Syria, and to some degree what's happening in Libya, have been stalled. And so that, that begs the question, can we do something differently? Do we need to try a different recipe? And for us, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's almost devastating that at this point, a different recipe is only adding women. But we actually haven't even tried that. Right, we've never had that. We've never even yes. tried it. So it's funny, because when we say, you know, people like yourself and I, like, let's just try adding women, people will say to us, well, peace is a lot more complicated than that. We agree, peace is a lot more complicated than that. And I think we were also trying to put other ideas on the table of how we redesign whatever we want to call the peace table, whether it's co-facilitation and different process of inclusion. But we're also saying, as just a first step, let's try having it not be an exclusive pact. Let's try trying to try broadening the circle and bringing more people in, whether we're talking about Lebanon and trying to set a new path to recovery, or whether we're talking about other countries in the region where we see largely stalled peace processes. So Lebanon, despite being a leader in so many different areas, whether both in the private sector, in media and industry, the number of women in politics is you know, disastrously low, I would say. 4.6% of members of parliament are women which makes it the second lowest in the region. You know, countries that we sometimes associate with low levels of women right. representation, whether still it's... Still doing better. Are still doing me yeah. better. Yemen, Saudi Arabia, these are countries that are doing better than Lebanon. And so, of course, Lebanon recovering from where it is now is going to take more than just women in politics. It's going to take extensive reforms across a range of sectors, corruption, how we do governance. Mm -hmm. But certainly one of those pieces is more equality in the representation of the people that are making the decisions at the top. But, but what are some of the barriers? Like, if you can just highlight some of the barriers that are really standing in the way for women to have that access into politics. In other sectors, uh, women do you know, a great job, there's high representation, but when it comes to politics, they suddenly hit a wall. We suddenly hit this wall where we can't go past. Yeah. So what are those barriers? What are the key barriers that are stopping women from accessing these high-level decision-making positions? Yeah. I mean, I, just to say that I think also across a range of other sectors, we don't see women represented to the levels that we, we should. But certainly in politics, I, I mean, I think it's, of course, different in every country. But fundamentally, politics is seen as a man's game. Women are not seen as able to make the hard decisions that men need to make. They're, there's this idea that they're too emotional. emotional. Exactly. <laughs> Always that we're too emotional to make these decisions and that we don't have whether it's the right networks or the spaces. To do of course, conflict parties shooting at each other are not emotional at all. They're right. completely rational. Yeah. And there's this like myth around meritocracy. Like we shouldn't have a woman there just for tokenism. We need to have the right women. They need to be capable. Again, suggesting that every man in uh, leadership positions is capable and got there through meritocracy. Again, a question mark around that. But you know what is interesting is that when we look at the data in Lebanon, data that UN Women has produced and other organizations, 
Actually, we see that a huge percentage of the population thinks that it's okay for women to be in leadership positions. Our data suggests that 70% of the population in mm -hmm. Lebanon will accept a woman in leadership positions. So often these ideas that women are too emotional, that they can't be elected, that they can't do business in politics, is a perception that's largely being held and maintained by those in power mm -hmm. who keep batting women away and saying it's not okay for them to be there, they'll never get elected, this will hurt our party to have them there. And it doesn't seem to be in sync with the broader population. Of course, there are pockets that think Or that with that the data. Or with the data, saying. exactly. There are pockets that think that's true, but that doesn't seem to be the majority of the population. So one, I think, is breaking this idea that, that women are unelectable. I think the data suggests that women can be elected and they should, and you know, parties need to take the quote-unquote risk on both appointing women to serious political dialogues, but also running women on electoral lists and across the range of things. And then the other element is around issues of social protection, which link to health care, unpaid care at home, uh, and all the other kinds of duties, whether it relates to older people within your family and everything around the unpaid care space. Mm -hmm. We know that all of that rests on women's shoulders. Women in Lebanon do something like four times more unpaid care work than men. So in the context of us being deemed by society as responsible for looking after our children, looking after the elderly, making sure all of the needs are met at home, it leaves very little time to be able to do what we need to do to have the political relationships and capital to make it into those elite uh, spaces to run for politics. Um, I mean, I think there are other there's issues related to campaign financing in terms of women having you traditionally worked less across their career for issues related to home care and then being less likely to be able to afford to get into politics. But at least I think the two main things that are holding women back are these ideas of social norms, mm -hmm. that women don't belong, this idea that's being perpetuated, that women don't belong in politics, and secondly, all of the unpaid care work that they have to do, which stops them from being able to, even working their way up the chain, even that pipelining into very senior positions that enables them to jump off into politics. Let's go back to the campaign, the missing piece. Mm -hmm. um, piece, I've noticed, is written P-E-A-C-E, -E. Yep. so there's a little play of words, uh, and it, I think it's, it's, it's beautiful. So how is uh, UN Women delivering this message of more representation through this idea of hashtag the missing piece? What was the campaign, um, what, what was the approach that was used uh, to deliver the message? So it started with a sort of a collective thinking with ourselves and Leo Burnett, the advertising agency, where we came to them and said, we want to somehow get the public engaged on this issue. But there's some things that we know about social media campaigns, the ones that have failed, I'll be honest, in the past. And the first is that people aren't necessarily moved by statistics. People don't necessarily care. Okay, there aren't many women in politics. How does that affect me in my everyday life? That's the first. And the second is the more, and we've been doing these interesting collaborations with UNDP, the, the way to grab people is around self-interest. It's mm -hmm. unfortunate, but it's true. So, you know, people don't resonate, as I say, to statistics, they resonate to, you know, how can this help you? And so what we tried to do is restructure a campaign that would somehow grab people in and resonate with the message in a simple way that we were trying to give. So we partnered, and this is all due to the brilliant work of Leo Burnett, we partnered with Twitter, LBCI and Anahar newspaper and came up with this concept of what if we removed half the letters from the alphabet for mm -hmm. one day and what would be what would be the reaction to that and trying to grab not, nothing will make sense nothing will make sense and not necessarily trying to grab uh, 
social influencers within the political space, so we did that too, but trying to grab people that people resonate in every everyday life, who they're following, and trying to just basically, you know, block out all social media with these really garbled messages and then suck people in and make them realize nothing makes sense because half of the population is missing. So we had Anahar newspaper ran a fake front page mm -hmm. where they ran the news of the day, removing half the letters from, from every article, whether that article was about, unfortunately, the wildfires or whatever else was going on. We had LBCI. And the loss of Atel Adnan, I remember it was that, that day it was on um, yeah. front page. So yeah, exactly. great loss to Lebanon and the region and the region. feminist scholarship Absolutely. and feminist art in general. And then we had LBCI removing half of the letters when they were giving the evening news from their reporting. Again, the, you know, the highlight of the, their reporting day mm. making no sense at all. And then we were trying to get as many people on social media to also be removing. So I remember at least opening my social media and of course my social media is largely made up of feminists and people within this space, but it was just amazing going through and just realizing that nothing made sense. You yeah. know, I couldn't read anything for the, and it even took me a second, even though I knew the campaign was happening that day, to wonder what's going on. Is everything being written in a language that I can't? And then, yeah. and it was incredible. I mean, Twitter did a great job and yeah. to be able to manage all that and pushing it out. And, and I th at yeah. least from our perspective, we think the campaign resonated. We were trending both early in the morning and then later in the afternoon on Twitter. But at least this initial realization that that was able to grab people and people were able to identify mm -hmm. uh, with the message that we were trying to give. But, but how can you build on this campaign? I mean, how can... Uh, you make sure that this is not a one-time thing and then, you know, it fizzles, fizzles out, um, but rather that this is something that could create like sort of a, uh, a stepping stone for further, broader uh, discussions on uh, women representation in national dialogues and peace building. Yeah, so we're, I mean, our hope is in collaboration with the partners that we have on this and with UNDP and others is to continue talking in interesting ways about the importance of women in political dialogues, but also in parliament, whether mm -hmm. it's through, you know, role modeling like a TV series around women in politics, like let's let people see what they've never seen before, right. like a TV series made up of all female politicians in Lebanon who sometimes do well and sometimes do badly the reality of like politics, any like any politician, yeah, and start normalizing the idea of women within these spaces, but also at the same time trying to build this demand from both women who are within political parties, both new parties and established parties, and from the broader public, that as Lebanon goes forward, we have to, it can't be the same faces that are sitting in those rooms making those decisions. And so we're going to be trying to use every entry point to try to connect this thread throughout the next year plus of just hammering home over and over again this message until we see it actually happen, that we have to have a different approach uh, to how we're trying to solve the crisis. I mean, for us, while we, of course, have a hope that reforms will be made. It was very disappointing to see the change from the last cabinet where we had 30% women to this cabinet uh, where I think we have one woman, I think which makes up around 4% also similar to parliament. Again, we're not saying that women are going to solve everything. I think there's two parts of it. One part is just representation. We need to start having spaces being more representative of the Lebanese population at large, women, but also others outside of uh, the current political elite. So that's one part. So one is just about equality and representation. Mm -hmm. And then the next part is that we know when we have more representative politics, including women there, we get this, uh, this proliferation of new ideas. And that we know, again, through data that we've charted you know, across 100 years, not in Lebanon, but globally in many different contexts, 
creates more positive outcomes. So I want to take this opportunity to ask you also about the quota. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, there's this uh, recent debate, or the lack of it, I don't know, you tell us, mm -hmm. uh, in Lebanon about uh, the women's quota in the parliamentary uh, election law. Um, how's that going? Mm. I think we've seen a lot of successes that we need to be championing and celebrating over the last at least two months. You know, mm -hmm. for the first time, we've seen three laws over the course of about six weeks be submitted to Parliament, all asking for a gender quota from a range of new actors, at least they're not the same people who submitted the laws on this before. And we've seen a debate in Parliament for the first time ever in Lebanon's history on the electoral quota. So all of these are incredible successes. We're also seeing you know, a range of feminist actors all starting to come together and coalesce around the importance of a gender quota. And actually, not only feminist actors, you know, mm -hmm. other you know, surprising, perhaps, faces and individuals who are also starting to say, OK, enough is enough. We now need some way of mandating more representative politics. Mm -hmm. I think what's been unfortunate but not surprising is that as soon as all those laws hit parliament, they were basically benched to a committee where likely the objective is for them to sort of never see the light of day again. So it goes in a drawer and it stays. It goes in a drawer, it's too sensitive, the elections are too close, you know, all of the arguments that we'll see around why now isn't the time to pass a quota, even though in 2018 we were told, okay, it's too soon now, we'll do it within the next electoral cycle, here we are again being told there's other issues to tackle, we'll do it again in the next electoral cycle. So this is going to be a long-term objective. Mm -hmm. It's unlikely, I think, that we'll get it through within this electoral cycle, but of course, not necessarily UN women, but all of our allies will keep pushing for that to happen, and we're supporting them in doing that. Mm -hmm. um, but you know, let's be absolutely unilateral and clear. There are many ways to support women's, the increase of women in politics, but there's only one way that is effective in doing that in a meaningful way. And that is, whether we like it or not, temporary special measures and quotas. Absolutely. And they're common across the region. I mean, this argument that there is an imposition from a Western feminist agenda is not valid. There are many countries across this region that have used temporary special measures, that have used electoral quotas to dramatically increase the number of women. Worked. And they've and they worked, worked the number yes. of women in politics. Jordan, Iraq. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so now is the time for Lebanon to get on board and do that. Rachel, there's a question that keeps coming up. Um, so women need to be at the table. Do they take their space or is it given to them? So how does that work? Yeah. Well, I, and if I, they want to take their space, how do they take their space? Yeah. I, I think there's two parts here that I would like to reflect on. One is like in Lebanon, currently there is no table. Right? We're at crisis point. Some would argue, you have said to me many times that we've never truly had any kind of process from the last civil war, we would, we're arguably still within this peace building moment. Definitely. And so of course we have the parliament and we have the cabinet, but there is no peace table per se. There's no space where uh, beyond those two institutions, other people are coming together to try to help right. Lebanon and, get out. And there's never been a truth and reconciliation. And there's never been no any kind of space. truth or yeah, process in Lebanon. So one is we need a table. And then two is we have a lot of women and men who want that table, who want to be part of solving Lebanon. So I'm, our, what we hear from our constituencies and what we believe is women need to both create the table at this point with their male allies, of course, and with all of the allies who are invested in peace in Lebanon, and they have to take that space. 
It's very, if we look at the trajectory in the history of Lebanon, it's very likely that that space will ever be ceded to them in the near future. Mm. And so that we might get one token space here and there, and I'm not, I'm not belittling those that have taken those spaces. Those, the women who have taken those spaces have done incredible things, both in terms of women's rights, but, but more broadly. But if we want more than one or two spots that are given to us by those who occupy those spaces right now, women are going to have to take those spaces. And it's figuring out how they can do that. And part of it might be creating a table. But will anyone be willing to give it away? No. Right. So there needs to be that sort of pressure, ongoing pressure over and over and again, over again to basically sort of, and correct me if I'm wrong, to show that it's to the benefit of these occupiers of the state, this space. Sure. to have the women included somehow. Yeah, but also they'll have to be told through things like quotas that women have to be there. Right. So if we look at other peace processes that have happened around uh, the region, and of course Lebanon isn't, as I say, in a peace process now, we've seen women's representation being mandated as part of that peace process. When the context of, Lebanon, of Yemen, when it was the GCC that was overseeing the national dialogue, and mm -hmm. it was mandated by all of the guarantors of the peace process, not just the Western guarantors, but also the guarantors from... Regional. Yeah, the yeah. regional guarantors also saying women and youth have to be part of these processes. So part of it exactly will be women demanding to be at the table, but part of it will be trying to figure out who are their allies, both Lebanese stakeholders and their allies, if and when this table is ever created, and then who are their allies, both regionally and internationally, and demanding that there be a different set of faces or the same plus, 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 a broadening of the circle of those that are involved in uh, trying to support Lebanon out of the current context that it's in. And until then, there's an argument to be made for women creating their own table and bringing allies into that and trying to model that they are willing and ready to sit at tables and debate what, it needs, to, what needs to happen in Lebanon for peace. And when those in power are ready to join them, there's a table there for them to do so. Willing, ready, and definitely capable, and more than capable to, to lead. Absolutely. Rachel, thank you for all the work that UN Women in Lebanon does to fill that missing piece. And thank you for being with us today on the Diplomat Podcast. Thanks for hosting me, it was a lot of fun.